0: well good evening welcome to long Hill baptist church we're going to start with number 121 at the cross number 121 alas and did my savior bleed and did my sovereign die would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as i at the cross at the cross where first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Was it for crimes that I have done, he groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. And the last but drops of grief can never repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away, tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day.
1: Well, good evening, thank you for joining us for our Wednesday night live stream Bible study here at Long Hill Baptist Church. I'm glad you were able to join with us tonight, if I can get my words out. I uh, wanna just invite you tonight, if you have a prayer request, uh, to go ahead and email that to me or uh, text that to me. We'll be uh, beginning our uh, online prayer meeting between 7.45 and eight o'clock. So within about five minutes of when the Bible study closes, Go ahead and link over to the uh, online prayer meeting. I really do want to encourage you, uh, if you're part of our church, to attend that tonight. It's important that we try to continue uh, praying together. And, and now that we're doing it online, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, that many more people can join in. Uh, so just want to encourage you to do that. Uh, with that said, let's go ahead and open in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Father God, I do thank you, Lord, tonight for the privilege to pray to you. Lord, I thank you tonight that we may come boldly to your throne because of Christ. Lord, I thank you tonight for a savior. Thank you, Father, for sending your only begotten son to die in my place upon the cross, to shed his blood to cover my sin. Lord, thank you that according to your word, anyone that would turn from sin to Christ and trust the payment that he made upon the cross to be the basis for our forgiveness. Lord, we're saved. Father, I pray for anyone who may be listening right now. Lord, maybe there's one person listening now who has not yet made that decision. Uh, they've understood the gospel, but perhaps they've, they've just not made the decision to place their faith in Christ. Lord, I pray that uh, even now that you convict them of the truth of the gospel, that you convict them of the reality of sin and the consequence of sin, and Lord, that you give faith that can be placed right upon Christ. Lord, I thank you uh, for our church. I certainly pray for all of our members tonight. Father, there's many needs and uh, I know many are, are suffering, uh, loneliness. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would meet that need. I pray that you'd meet practical needs. I pray, Father, that Uh, you would just work tonight in this trial to grow us, to grow our reliance upon you, to draw us closer to you. And Lord, I pray tonight that as we look into your word, we'd be encouraged by it. Yes, we see some difficult things tonight, but we're no doubt, uh, nonetheless, we can be encouraged by the truth of your word. And Father, we can be encouraged by the fact that you are a God who has an active part in our lives. You're not a far off God. You're a God who is in us and with us. And Lord, I thank you tonight for that truth. Father, help us now as we sing. I pray that um, people at home tonight would sing along and uh, worship you humbly. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: We'll take our hymn sheets and we'll sing, Who is on the Lord's Side, number 500, We'll sing the first, the second, and the last of number 500, Who is on the Lord's Side? Who is on the Lord's Side? Who will serve the King? Who will be His helpers, other lives to bring? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? By thy call of mercy, by thy grace divine, we are on the Lord's side. Savior, we are thine. Not for weight of glory not for crown and palm enter we the army raise the warrior song but for love that claimeth life's for whom he died he whom jesus nameth must be on his side by thy love constraining by thy grace divine. We are on the Lord's side, Savior, we are thine and the last. Fierce may be the conflict, strong may be the foe, but the king's own army none can overthrow. Round his standard raging victory is secure, for his truth unchanging makes the triumph sure. Joyfully enlisting by his grace divine, we are on the Lord's side, Savior, we are thine.
1: Well, I wasn't able to hear you singing tonight, but it's because you're not here. I trust that you were uh, singing along at home as much as you could. Uh, I hope you've, you've uh, discovered that we're sending out the hymn page uh, sheets ahead of time so that you can uh, sing, sing aloud at home. And we really want to encourage you to do that. Don't want the fact that we're not able to meet together uh, prevent you from singing and worshiping the Lord and, and pleasing Him in that. I want to ask you to take your Bible tonight and turn to uh, the book of Judges, uh, Judges chapter two tonight. Now, I kind of had uh, set my mind to get through chapters one and two last Wednesday night. We really didn't do that. So uh, I want to pick up the book tonight in Judges chapter two. As you're turning there, just a a little bit of review of the introductory material that I offered last week, uh, maybe for someone who wasn't able to be with us last week. So Uh, Recall that the book of Judges uh, mainly uh, is uh, chronological. It follows after the book of Joshua. Uh, We'll see here tonight there's a little bit of overlap. We see uh, some things that seem to have been concurrent with the end of Joshua's life uh, being recorded, being captured here in Judges chapter 2. But the bulk of the book occurs chronologically just after the death of Joshua. Uh, you will recall last week that we examined the, the, the overriding theme of the book uh, is that we have a God who graciously intervenes in our life to correct us uh, when we need correction. So we'll see a number of cycles as we move into the main part of the book beyond chapter two. Uh, tonight, we'll, we'll get through chapter two, we'll be ready for uh, to kind of dive into the main uh, portion of the book beginning in chapter three next week. Uh, God's people will fall down. They, they fall into sin, they fall into apostasy. Uh, the Lord corrects them by allowing them to be brought under uh, servitude uh, to one of their many local enemies, local enemies that are still there because they were not faithful to drive out the people, uh, Brother Ray, as God had commanded them to. Uh, that correction under the, under the servitude to local enemies continues typically for some years. And then God graciously raises up a so-called judge uh, to deliver the people from uh, the consequences of their sin, uh, to encourage their uh, repentance and their yieldedness to God. And we made the, the point last week, the important observation that uh, these judges, you may say, well, it's just history. Yes, but it's history. Uh, it's, it's literal history of God's people that teaches spiritual truths, our our tendency to disobey and to require God's correction. But don't don't miss, don't forget as we move through the book that these judges very much picture Christ. And I want to keep coming back to that. I want to keep coming back to how Christ is pictured in this book because uh, he, he, like the judges, delivers his people from the consequences of our sin. Uh, Because of sin, we deserve a, a very real death and a very real hell Uh, and conscious eternal punishment there. But uh, Christ, our judge, in a sense, has been uh, raised up to deliver us from the penalty of sin uh, in a very real hell, and because of that, because of Christ, we have the opportunity to repent, to place our faith in Him, to be forgiven, uh, and to look forward to a wonderful future in a very real heaven, uh, as opposed to horrific eternity in a very real hell. Now chronologically here, remember quickly, uh, we have Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, and then Judges. If you look at the word Genesis, uh, I gave you a little kind of teaching aid there, G-E-N, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers. Uh, and then two, a, two J's, Joshua and Judges. That's the that's the, the chronology of the books. If you're reading the books chrono- chronologically, uh, you would go Numbers, Joshua, Judges. In the book of Judges, we have about a 350-year time period, uh, basically between the end of Joshua's life uh, and the first kings of Israel. So that's that's where the book fits uh, in the Bible uh, chronology. Now. Last week in chapter 1, we, uh, we began laying down the, the context uh, for God to begin correcting the people. We, uh, chapter 1 reviews uh, some of the history of Joshua, uh, the book of Joshua, where we see that the people were faithful to come into the land and uh, at times they were quite faithful to, uh, to go after the enemies that God called them to. Uh, but they were typically, or at least not always, faithful uh, to drive out all of the enemies of God that resided in the promised land in Canaan. They, they did not drive out all of the Canaanites, and, and that began a slide for the children of Israel. Uh, one man said in chapter 1, you see them fighting the enemy uh, and then sparing the enemy rather than Uh, driving all the enemies out, uh, killing and or driving them out. They spared many of their enemies, contrary to God's command. And uh, he said, coming into chapter two, you find them then beginning to imitate their enemies and then obeying their enemies, finding themselves under servitude to their enemies uh, under the corrective hand of God. So uh, we see here that one little compromise uh, one little bit of disobedience to God set up a course that was not at all what God's plan was for his people. Uh, it's not a good course, but it's one that we can most certainly learn from. And I, I pray tonight that will be our goal. Let's pray again just very quickly, and we'll jump right in here tonight and make several observations. Father, I pray tonight that you would give us a heart to receive your words. Lord, help us not to be just before a screen tonight logging time. I, I don't think anyone in our church is, Father, but I, I pray that you would give us a heart to pay careful attention, to make notes tonight, uh, to really uh, have a hunger and thirst for your word, to receive uh, the individual words and, and the lessons that you have for us. Uh, in this literal history, Lord, that you have recorded for us uh, and preserved for us today. Father, this is important, uh, and that's why you've seen fit to include it in your word. I pray that we would take this time together seriously now, Lord, and that we would uh, understand that that which you have for each of us uh, to see here tonight. Lord, use me, help me now. I definitely need your help, and I pray for it, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Judges chapter 2 now. I want to jump right in. Uh, Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We see here uh, the angel of the Lord, the so called, what the Bible says, an angel of the Lord uh, came up from Gilgal to Bochum or Bochim. I want to just stop real fast and, and make a comment on. Uh, This phrase, angel of the Lord, I think there's times in scripture where clearly it is a literal angel, one of God's created beings. However, tonight, I think this is one of those occasions where you could say this really has to be the Lord, Brother Ray. This has to be the Lord himself coming on the scene. And it's it's quite possible, uh, maybe quite likely, that this is the pre-incarnate Christ coming upon the scene to deal with uh, his people. That That's at least a possibility. I say this has to be the Lord because the angel speaks about what he has done, what he has accomplished. Uh, and when you see the things that the angel ascribes to himself, it really, it can only be the Lord. So uh, I just offer that to you tonight as a, an important observation. Judges 2 verse 1, an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt. So God is reviewing what he has done for his people and have brought, and I have brought you unto the land which I swear uh, unto your fathers." An angel didn't do that, God did that. God promised the land, God brought them into the land. So again, this this really has to be the Lord speaking to His people uh, and said, I never break my covenant with you. God keeps covenant with His people. Uh, he made a covenant with the people, He made a covenant with Abraham. Uh, He has satisfied that covenant. Uh, Those parts that are not yet satisfied will be satisfied, of course, in the millennium, the land promise, for example. Uh, The angel continues in in verse 2 and reminds them of God's prior commands and and then asks them why have they not been obedient. Verse 2, the Lord says, and ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Remember, God told them when they came into the land they were to remain separate. They were to deal with the people. They were to drive them out. God was very concerned that if they allowed uh, these uh, Canaanite, uh, wicked Canaanite people who had false gods to remain, that uh, those people would draw God's people into their ways, into their false worship, and uh, we'll see quickly that's exactly what happened because the people did not obey God. Ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Uh, The Lord said, ye shall throw down their altars, and then he says this, but... "'Ye have not obeyed my voice.'" And he says this, "'Why have ye done this?' Uh, it harkens back to the questions that uh, God asked in the garden and questions that God has asked other times. Of course, God knows the answer, but He will ask questions at times uh, to cause His people to consider uh, what have I done? Uh, why have I not obeyed? Uh, God knows the answer, but He wants us to consider the answer. He wants us to consider uh, what has led to our disobedience so that uh, we can then begin dealing with the underlying cause of our disobedience, and that's that's the nature and purpose of God's question here, no doubt. Well, the Lord goes on in verse 3 and He reveals that because of their disobedience, uh, they would suffer the presence of their enemies. They, they weren't faithful to push the, the enemies of God out of the land. God says, well, you know what? Okay, I'm not going to push them out. I'm going to allow you to suffer uh, with them at your side. And we'll see here quickly with, with them over uh, God's people. This will be part of God's correction uh, for their disobedience. He says in verse 3, Uh, the Lord speaking, wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, uh, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, uh, the source of many trials for God's people. And then he says this, don't miss this last part of verse three, and their God's shall be a snare or a trap unto you. Of course, Zachary, their gods are fake gods. They're false gods. Uh, but nonetheless, their gods were gods that were worshiped by the people that uh, God's people had allowed to stay in the land. And uh, they're gods that had a power over the people because uh, they, they would fall under the influence of, of these Canaanites. Uh, they're not real gods with real power, but nonetheless, they would have an influence uh, in the lives of God's people because they have allowed that. Uh, they allowed that. So, uh, see the response of the people. So, uh, we're really just reviewing here. Um, Chapter 2 is more review and kind of setting the stage, Uh, but see the response of the people here. Uh, They respond with sorrow in verse 4. Verse 4 says, "...it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, the people lifted up their voice and they wept." Uh, They lifted up their voice uh, to the Lord, perhaps, Uh, But what the Bible says is that they wept, they cried, there was a sorrow uh, at the fact that God would um, not bless them but withdraw His blessing. There was a sorrow in their hearts uh, in the the obvious fact that God was withdrawing His blessing, that He would not bless them by pushing out the people that uh, He had told uh, His people to push out, uh, that He would begin to correct them by allowing those people to stay. Uh, there was a sorrow at that. There was a sorrow at the anticipation of God's correction. Now look at that verse again, if God says you have been disobedient and I'm about to begin pouring out correction uh, in or consequences, which would be uh, God's correction into your life. Yeah, there might be sorrow, but uh, brother Ray, there should be something else there too. Beyond just sorrow, there ought to be repentance, right? Uh, Rather than just sorrowing at the fact that God's uh, telling them that there will be consequences, I would hope that that would drive uh, people to repentance, to turn away from the sin that invited God to correct them. Uh, But we do not see that. The Bible says they lifted up their voices. It doesn't say they repented. It says rather that they wept. There's a sorrow uh, at, at sin and the consequence of sin really. But I don't think there's truly sorrow at sin such that they were of a heart to uh, confess the sin uh, and to repent from the sin. Now listen, let's, let's see our own tendency as, as human beings uh, right there. We, uh, we sorrow at the consequence of sin far more easily than we determine to repent of sin. It might be quite natural to sorrow at the negative consequences of our sin, uh, it's not natural, it requires a supernatural uh, intervention really to cause us to, uh, to repent of sin, and, and God's about to do that. Given the, the absence of repentance, he's, he's going to allow increasing correction into their lives. Well, to do just that, to correct them. What they do here is they worship. Uh, there's no repentance, but they do worship the Lord, uh, through their sacrifices here in verse five. Verse five says, And they called the name of that place Bochim, uh, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. Now stop there, Brother Ray, and just consider this for a minute. You, you have people who have they've been called out for their sin. They've been, uh, it's been revealed to them that there will be consequence for their sin. They sorrow at the consequence, and they jump right into worshiping God. Uh, repentance is still missing. There, there's, no, there's no repentance recorded here, and there's no reason to think that there's been any turning from sin. Uh, they just kinda go on with their business. They go on uh, worshiping God still without repentance. Listen, uh, don't, don't skip over this, don't miss this. We, we probably do this ourselves far more than we should. Uh, we wanna go through the motions of worshiping God. Uh, we want things to kind of be the way they should be. Uh, we may come to church. We may come to Sunday school, Wednesday night, Sunday night. Uh, we go through the motions of being in church and, or, or watching a, a live stream, uh, worshiping God, uh, knowing that God is dealing with us, but, but not responding to his conviction, uh, to his correction. Uh, we need to be a people who are willing to deal with the conviction and correction of God, not trying to brush under the rug and, and, and just go forward with our religious duties, uh, thinking everything will just be okay, well, it won't be okay. Uh, failing to turn from sin, even as saved people, it has spiritual and practical consequences uh, in our life. Uh, It'll affect your worship. It'll affect uh, your walk with the Lord. Uh, Father, help us not to forget that. Help us to be people who are quick to deal with sin. I understand as a saved person, uh, sin will not cause me to lose my salvation, Brother Ray, but it certainly can affect my walk with the Lord. It certainly can rob me of joy. It certainly can lead God to withdraw his blessings from my life. And no matter how worshipful or religious I am, until I repent of the sin, there's going to be consequences. And we'll see that here tonight. Well, we see here verse 6 reference to Joshua releasing the people. They've been assembled to receive this message from God. And uh, this may well have happened back at the end of uh, the book, uh, concurrent uh, with that passage that we saw back at the end of uh, the book of Joshua, where the people heard from God, and Joshua then dismissed them. And then in verse 7, the Bible says, people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. So here are people who, um, they've, they've sinned against God. They're sorrowing at the consequence of sin and yet they go on and they worship God and they serve God, uh, again evidently trying to pretend there's nothing wrong when, when in fact there is. Uh, there is something wrong. Verse seven says, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did, the Lord did for Israel. Uh, And then Joshua dies. We've seen this before at the end of Joshua. Uh, Verse eight, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord died being 110 years Uh, old, he was blessed by God for his obedience uh, with a good long life, 110 years. Verse 9 says, They buried him uh, in the borders of his inheritance. And it gives the place here, references to the place. So Joshua passes off from the scene. And then see verse 10. Verse 10, uh, the remainder of that generation dies also. Uh, and also, all that generation, and then this, this biblical phrase from the Old Testament, were gathered unto their fathers. Uh, it's really quite a, a, a wonderful phrase. They, they were gathered unto their people, or they were gathered unto their fathers. Uh, they were gathered to that place where those that had died in the Lord had gone on before them. Uh, this, no doubt, is a reference to Abraham's bosom at this point uh, in God's plan, in, in God's design. So, Joshua dies. Uh, the people of that generation uh, are gathered unto their fathers. They've died. And in the second part of verse 10, we have a, a new generation coming along now. That seems to be the next generation. If there's a gap here of generations, there's no indication of that. Uh, that, that one generation is gone. And then a next gener- the next generation is, is on the scene. Second part of verse 10, Zachary says this, and there arose another generation, the the young people, come on up, Brother Ray, Uh, another generation after them. Uh, See the next part of the verse. It's perhaps one of the saddest phrases uh, in Scripture. Uh, And I don't say that lightly. It says, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. So, of course, all the people back in the wilderness knew the Lord. They knew uh, what he had done for them, the people uh, that were alive when uh, they came into the promised land, they, they knew who God was. They knew he was the Lord. They knew what God had done for them. But now as soon as those folks are gone and the next generation is on the scene, uh, they, they know not the Lord, second part of verse 10, nor yet the works which he had done. They don't know God. They don't know what he's done no doubt many of them don't know who the Lord is. You have to stop there, brother and ask yourself, how could that be? Uh, How is it possible that the next generation after uh, the one that we've just seen is gone, the next generation uh, has lost knowledge of the Lord, what he's like, who he is, uh, and what he's done? How can that be? How can that be? Well, it's only possible uh, if the generation before had failed to teach the next generation. There really isn't any other possibility. Uh, For one generation to not know God, who He is, what He's like, uh, the way of salvation and so forth, the only way that can be is if the prior generation did not obey the Lord's command to teach the next generation. Now. Uh, Brother Ray, we know in scripture the Levites had some responsibility for teaching. That maybe wasn't their main responsibility, but they had some uh, responsibility for teaching. But it was really the parents. Recall, the Lord had made the parents primarily responsible to teach the next generation. Uh, back in Deuteronomy, verse 6, uh, chapter 6, in verse 6. Uh, the, the Lord commanded the people, uh, he said, Thou shalt teach them uh, the words that God had given. Thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. Uh, parents are to teach God's words to their own children uh, and to not be casual about that, to be focused and diligent and continue uh, to teach. And uh, there the Bible commands uh, the parents, Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, Them what? God's words. And when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. uh, God's uh, people were to be teaching their children uh, constantly. Now Zachary, as a parent, that's convicting. I no doubt haven't done that as well as I could have or should have uh, along the way. But certainly uh, we didn't um, deprive you of knowledge of who God is and what he's like and, and how to be saved. This generation evidently did. They simply did not teach the next generation. And the consequence uh, of that failure is, that, is the next generation did not know the Lord. Uh, that possibility exists very much in our world today. Uh, certainly, we meet people today uh, who don't know anything about the Bible. The only thing they know of Christ is that his name is used as a swear word. They don't know, uh, they don't know anything with regard to uh, the way of salvation. Uh, in just a generation or two, knowledge of God and, and, and Bible things has been lost uh, in our world. This was true in, uh, in the days of the judges, and it, it, this possibility is... Uh, is very true and very real uh, in our day as well. Now, <laughs> the, the problem that we're going to see or, or the, the, the next consequence that we're going to see in the book of Joshua, uh, forgive me, the book of Judges, is that, uh, Brother Ray, even though the people didn't know the Lord, uh, this next generation, the new generation, they hadn't been taught, evidently, who the Lord was and what He had done, Uh, They're still spiritual beings, right? Uh, People in that day and people today, we're made spiritual beings, right? We're made to worship. Uh, We're we're made with spiritual needs that only the Lord can fulfill uh, completely and perfectly. So void of knowledge of the Lord and our relationship with him uh, in and through Christ, You're, you're still looking to satisfy your spiritual needs, Uh, your spiritual longing somehow, some way. Uh, That is exactly where the people of this next generation find themselves. And so it's not surprising that given that they did not know the Lord, that they would begin to look around and see what what kind of worship is going on around us. How are people satisfying their spiritual needs? Who are they worshiping? What's happening? How are they doing that? Pretty quickly, they discover Baal, Baal worship, uh, this this idol worship, and they uh, get caught up in that. Uh, Lacking knowledge of the Lord, they're still spiritual beings. They're still going to look for... Uh, some kind of spiritual fulfillment. And listen, that's an explanation for so much of what we see going on in the world today. You wonder how could people get caught up in that cult or that cult or that false faith or this crazy thing or Scientology or, or whatever it is. People are spiritual beings. If they do not have knowledge of the Lord, they're gonna, they're gonna shop for some kind of spiritual worship opportunity that feels like it'll meet their needs. Uh, It's on us, it's on us. We are the ones who've been commissioned to say no, not that false god, not that false worship, not that false faith, but the one true God the Lord Jesus Christ, here's how you can know how to be saved by repenting, turning uh, from sin to Christ and placing your faith in Him and uh, in Him alone. We are the ones that have been commissioned uh, to introduce people to the one true God so that they don't go looking for some other means or some other God or some other thing to satisfy their spiritual longing. So that's no doubt the dynamic that we see here in the days of the Judges. And, and no doubt, that is, that is the exact same thing that we see going on uh, here in our world today. Well, look with me here in verse 11. Uh, we see, uh, given that they did not know the Lord, we see the, the immediate consequences. Verse 11, uh, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam, He's false god. Uh, Baal or Balaam, uh, and they for, forsook, Baal, they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. Uh, they turned from him, not knowing him. Uh, may, maybe some had heard his name, but just didn't know enough about him. They, they forsake him, uh, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. They followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them. Those that they had not pushed out of the land at God's specific command were still there worshiping their false gods. Uh, therefore, uh, God's people who had fallen out of fellowship, uh, fallen away from knowledge of him, uh, they're looking around, and all they see is Baal worship. All they see is Baal worship. And so they bow themselves unto, unto them, false gods. Uh, what was the consequence? Well, at the end of verse 12, you see this, it provoked the Lord to anger. Uh, god is a God. The Lord is a God who is angry at sin. Uh, we ought to be angry at sin also. Uh, god is greatly angered. He has a wrath at sin. Uh, we understand that. We know that. Verse 14 uh, reiterates, they forsook the Lord and served Baal uh, and Ashtaroth, two of the false gods uh, of the Canaanite people, uh, Baal being really the primary God of the Canaanites. This is all made possible by the fact that the people disobeyed God when they knew Him. They failed, to push, they failed to push these false worshipers out of the land. They failed evidently to teach the next generation about the Lord. Those people, uh, the next generation now still having spiritual needs, all they see, all they're aware of is false worship, and so they get caught up in that. Listen, all of that began with just a little bit of compromise, Brother Ray, a little bit of compromise. We'll not push these people out of the land when God said, rather we'll keep them, we'll put them under tribute to us. We'll benefit from them. Uh, we'll be frenemies. Uh, we'll benefit from them uh, monetarily. Uh, it's okay if we don't if we don't uh, be perfectly obedient to God. God will understand Uh, No, God's not a God who understands sin. He's not a God who accepts sin. All of this, everything that we're seeing here in the land in this chapter is a consequence of that little bit of compromise. Uh, Please don't miss that tonight. Uh, A little bit of compromise can snowball and snowball and have greater and greater consequences. Yes, you can still be saved. You will still be saved uh, if you are saved, but there will be growing consequences for sin if you do not deal with sin in your life. Well now see verse 15. Well, go back to verse 14. The Lord here begins to correct the people. Verse 14, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. He delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies. Uh, just like the people had made uh, their enemies uh, tri- uh, tributaries or uh, placed their enemies under tribute to them. Now God's doing that. The Language is a little bit poetic, but God's placing them under uh, the hands of their enemies now uh, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. This is God's correction. Uh, God is angry at sin, yes, but Uh, He still loves his people and so he's not just walking away from them, he's beginning to correct them. Uh, Verse 15 says, the people were greatly distressed. They sorrowed before the consequence of sin. Now that they're beginning to experience it, they were greatly distressed. Verse 15 says, Whithersoever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Beginning in verse 16, we find an overview uh, of the remainder of the book. So the stage is set, as we said last week, uh, these first two chapters are setting the stage uh, for God's correction. Uh, the next verses, the, the last uh, few remaining verses of this chapter, uh, really just provide an overview of that, these cycles of correction that we see the Lord uh, bringing upon the people. we will see verse 16, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. Uh, God will allow an enemy nation to, to correct His people for a period of time. And then he raises up a judge to correct them. He raises up a judge to deliver them from the consequences uh, of their sin. Uh, They'll continue to fall into sin. Verse 17, and yet they would not hearken unto their judges but they went to whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in. Uh, Their fathers obeyed the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. Here's an important truth in in verse 18. uh, And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of all their enemies, all the days of the judge. I want you, we don't have time to go into this tonight, but I want you to get this idea down, make a note. God is the one who's going to raise up the judges. God is the one who's going to work through the judges to deliver the people from the consequence of their sin, to deliver them from enemies that God's using to correct them. Brother Ray, there's nothing particularly about special about many of these judges except that God is the one who raised them up and worked through them. And one of the things I want to bring out as we go through the book, and it's not necessarily my observation, but but one thing that I want you to take care of, to observe throughout the book is that these judges, many of them are just regular people like us. They're just regular people who God chose, God raised up, uh, and God empowered, God enabled, and God worked through those people to accomplish his purposes. Listen, that's a great truth tonight. You may, you may think I'm nothing special. I don't have a lot of education. Uh, I'm not the most intellectual person. I'm not the most gifted or, or talented person. That's, those are not the criteria to be used greatly of God. Uh, to be used greatly of God, we simply need to say, God, here I am. Take me, use me uh, any way that you will. These judges were used greatly of God because they were available to God, they made themselves available to God, and he worked through them. He accomplished great, great things through them uh, for that reason alone. They made themselves available to God. Now, Here's a sad truth in verse 19. When the judges died, the people uh, fell back into sin through these various cycles. It came to pass when the judge was dead, Uh, That they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers, more than their fathers. With each cycle, with each passing cycle, uh, the people would cycle from correction back into worse sin uh, in following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. They ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn ways. They were a people who did what they wanted to do rather than what God desired. They were stubborn. No doubt we see the same thing in the world today. Each generation seems to be becoming more wicked. Uh, people seem more and more committed to doing their own thing rather than God's thing. Uh, we see this in the world today. Uh, verses 20 and verse 21 reiterate that due to the sin of God's people, uh, he would not drive out their enemies. Uh, verse 20, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left uh, when he died. Again, the consequence of sin. Uh, Sin always has practical consequences. Yes, it's forgiven, but we're often less dealing with the practical consequences. Now, uh, don't miss the last verse here. We're just about done, we're gonna wrap this up uh, quickly, but I want you to not miss, take care not miss the last verse. God is a God who continued to intervene in the lives of the children of Israel. He's a God who continues to intervene in our lives still today uh, in local churches like ours, in the lives and hearts of church members because he's a God who loves us enough to want to correct us. He wants to grow us. He wants to correct us uh, as his people. That's his goal. Uh, That's his desire. He's not just spanking us in anger. No, he desires to correct us. His discipline is always Uh, well-intentioned, it's designed to correct that we might grow in our walk with Him. Verse 22 says that, Uh, God allowed all that correction that that we've seen in the verses above, that or so that uh, through them, the Lord says, I may prove or test Israel. He's proving them, He's testing them, He's correcting them through these trials, uh, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Bible says in verse 23, "Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered He them into the hand of Joshua. God's going to use those nations to correct His people. Now, of course, again, the Lord still makes his business, Uh, to chasten, to correct New Testament believers. Hebrews 12 uh, verse 5, the Bible says, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, this New Testament verse, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him or by him. Verse 6 in Hebrews 12 says, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. God corrects us because he loves us. He's a loving father that desires to correct his children uh, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, verse seven, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? God will not just let us continue down the wrong road. He loves us too much to allow that. He will allow various trials into our lives to shake us back awake, to shake us back onto our knees, to drive us to our knees, to drive us to repentance so that we can be right with him again, so that he can restore his blessings uh, in our lives again. In closing, I will share with you uh, an important observation from our friend, Dr. David Sorensen. Dr. Sorensen observes this. He says... The Greek word that's used in the New Testament for chasten uh, the Greek word that's translated chasten in the New Testament is translated a number of different ways. So sometimes it's translated chasten or chastise or something like that, but it's also translated these ways. In Acts 7:22 it's translated as learned. In Acts 22:3 it's translated as taught. In 2 Timothy 2 in verse 25 it's translated instruct. In Ephesians 6 and verse 4, it's translated nurture. In Luke 23 and verse 16, it's translated punish. In Titus 2 and verse 12, teach them uh, the Lord may and it will be far less pleasant for them. Uh, No doubt if the children, if the people of Israel had taken care to teach and instruct and nurture their children, uh, the Lord would not have had to do all of this correction or, or not nearly as much of the correction that we'll see here in the next uh, chapters. Now, we'll stop there. We'll stop there. And I realize in, in many ways what we see here tonight is negative and maybe someone's feeling a little bit discouraged. Don't. Don't be discouraged. Uh, be thankful. Be grateful. Praise God tonight that He is a God who loves us enough to interject himself into our lives with correction, lest we just continue further and further down the road away from him. That is not his desire. He will inject, interject correction into our lives because he loves us. Thank God for that tonight. We have, Brother Ray, a God who loves us that much. We're going to stop there. I'm going to pray. Uh, Zach has a song, and then uh, if you're watching live tonight, meet us, uh, meet us online for uh, a short time of prayer, please. Father, I thank you, Lord, tonight for this chapter, Judges chapter 2. Uh, it's not easy to read. It's, it's um, distressing in ways. Uh, Lord, it's sad in many ways. But Father, it also forces us to remember that you are a God who is just and you are a God who loves his people. Uh, Lord, your justice does not prevent you from loving us so much that you uh, graciously and mercifully correct us. Lord, I'm thankful tonight that uh, you allow trials into our lives to correct us. Uh, Coronavirus may be an example of that. Lord, if it is, I pray tonight that we would respond to it the way The children of Israel should respond to correction by uh, asking you to examine their hearts by truly repenting of sin and forsaking sin. God give us a heart tonight to do just that. Help us not to be prideful, help us not to be self-willed or strong-willed, but to be seeking uh, you to search our hearts and to give us grace and strength to uh, turn from sin having repented. Lord, work in our hearts tonight, I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we'll turn to number 264 if you have the, the sheet that we sent out. Uh, we'll sing Sweet Hour of Prayer, and again, I want to really encourage you, uh, we'll just pray for just a few minutes tonight, so if you can join us online tonight, uh, you have all the instructions to do that in your email, there's several ways you can do that, really anyone can, so uh, please do
0: All right, we'll take our hymn sheets and go to number 264. We'll sing the first and the last of Sweet Hour of Prayer, number 264. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, calls me from our bids me at my Father's throne, makes all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief, and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. And the third... Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, may I thy consolation share. Till from Mount of lofty height I view my home and take my flight. This robe of flesh shall drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize. And shout while passing through the air, Farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for the message we've heard. I pray you would help us to apply it, and uh, bless our time of prayer to you now in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.